Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Huai Chen Bui. I'm a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in D.C. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. And Anya is not with us today, but with us is one of my best friends and the reason that we're doing this podcast about one of my favorite TV shows because she and I bonded over college over... Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and it has remained an integral part of our friendship and just our pop culture interests in general. So, welcome to the podcast, Rebecca Fuger. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So, today is our Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast episode. I've been waiting to do this for like two years now, and I'm sure HT has been too. Uh, Oh, me too. And Rebecca. Rebecca is our resident guestbert. Alan, for Buffy, uh, she knows to show forwards and backwards and left to right, just the same as HT. Uh, a little bit about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It premiered in 1997. It ended in 2003, so a good solid seven seasons of content. Um, plus there's a couple comic books that further the story after the series ended. Um, it stars Sarah Michelle Gellar as Buffy. She is a vampire slayer. Uh, one in a long line of young women chosen for a specific mission to seek out and destroy vampires, demons, and other forces of darkness. The show was created and showrun by Joss Whedon, who we've talked about before on the show. Um, so we're going to talk about how the show is special to us and the legacy that it's had now that it's reached its 20th anniversary. Yes. And we missed the, the date that it actually hit its 20th anniversary. That was back in March. But it's coming into... The fall is right deep in October, so it's the perfect time to rewatch Buffy and talk about Buffy. It's time to get spooky, folks. Time to get spooky. Uh, so it has a very strong legacy, both in the pop culture world, but also amongst us. Mm-hmm. I think like it was one of it's one of my favorite shows, and it's one of the shows that has like um, primed my expectations for TV shows. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about what we feel about Buffy, its legacy in general, and some of like maybe it's criticisms that it's reached now that it is we've had 20 years away from it and it's kind of kind of a product of its time as well so that's like uh, it's weird because that's usually something you say about the 60s and that it's the 90s it was the 90s you know things have changed a lot in the things past have. even just 10 years yeah mm-hmm. but i want to throw it first to rebecca and tell me tell us how you discovered buffy what you love about it and just like what what makes it so special? Yeah, so I actually started watching Buffy in high school, I believe sophomore year. And I kind of always really loved um, high school-themed shows. And I started watching Veronica Mars when I was in middle school, kind of that like seventh grade, eighth grade time. And that ended, obviously, <laughs> gone too soon for sure um and i kind of needed something to sort of fill that veronica mars void for me so and veronica mars was also one of those shows that like i really really got into it was probably the first show that i got like crazy into and did a deep dive you know i went on like fan forums and read tons of recaps about it and you know the name buffy the vampire slayer kept coming up when i would read these forums And I kind of had known about Buffy, obviously, for a while, but I didn't know if I would like it. I kind of thought it might be too scary. (laughs) I actually accidentally watched an episode of Buffy when I was, like, nine, and it terrified me. Oh, do you remember which episode? 
Yeah, it was Angel the first season oh. when she finds out he was a vampire. Like, Darla scared me so bad. So <laughs> I was actually, like, kind of nervous to re- watch it, but I knew it was supposed to be really good, and I knew that it had gotten a lot of comparisons to Veronica Mars, like, very favorably compared. So I was like, all right, let's just do this. So I went to the library, and I remember I got these really crappy DVDs of Buffy the first season and I watched it and I was completely hooked and it just started me on this like long just love for Buffy I you know burned through all the seasons pretty quickly within high school I think I finished it around my junior year or so junior senior year and I actually met a lot of friends who I still keep in touch with from Buffy but we bonded over that in high school so that was really great (laughs) and didn't stop there obviously so yeah then I just had watched it and then I was rooming in college with um your friend Marlena and you had her watch Buffy so I remember one time I came into our dorm room and I heard Buffy playing I'm like I just like audibly gasped and I was like is that Buffy oh my god and she was like yeah Hoi Chan was making me watch it and I was like (laughs) oh my god and like I got so excited and I like forced myself on you guys basically and was like I'm watching this new episode with you this episode with you that I think it was the I want to say it was the third season but I can't say that for sure it was the second season remember like when we all watched together we got to the point of um innocence and Marlena was like that's so stupid why would why would uh sex be the happiest happiest part of like his experience and she's like it's not that great (laughs) it's about being with someone he loves exactly but yeah, no, I do remember that. And I do remember also thinking that was a little bit like much, but I, I buy it completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I yeah forced myself on you guys and watched, um, yeah, I guess it was the second season in the middle of the very intense emotional second season arc. And yeah, then we just became really good friends. And then I remember Willoughby actually watching it too, and it helped make us grow closer too. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, um, in terms of what it means to me, too, it's just, like, like Veronica Mars, it's just, like, this has this really strong, really dimensional female character, which I think can sometimes be hard to find, especially in, you know, teen shows and in um, kind of superhero-centric shows as well. You know, I'm not as much of an expert on that as you guys are, but... Just having that powerful female character who also maintains, like, you know, her own femininity or her own, you know, personality rather than, you know, conforming to masculine ideals is so, like, amazing to me and wonderful. And, you know, I've just never loved a show more, basically. I could go on and on. But this will be a really long podcast if I do that. Well, it is our podcast, so you can say as much as you want. We'll go more into it as well. Yeah. Um, so my story with uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is very similar to Rebecca's. I discovered it, actually, it was the summer after high school. So Netflix streaming had been out for a little bit. It was starting to gain steam. And I had just a big summer of nothing to do because I usually had a part-time job, but for some reason I had nothing that summer. I had three months of just, like, sitting around my house. And I was like, okay. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What do I do? So I was checking out Netflix, and one of my recommended um, 
one of my recommended items was Buffy, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I also had a similar experience to Rebecca in which I had seen an extremely scary episode of Buffy when I was like 9 or 10. And my, va- my babysitter was watching it. And I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> said, the, said the 9-year-old. <laughs> exactly. I was really into 7th Heaven at the time. It's the opposite I, of Buffy. I did like yes. Charmed, but I watched Seventh Heaven religiously. Ha ha ha. So pun intended. <laughs> or pun intended. And I remember the episode I watched was, um, or she was watching, was the season three episode where Faith accidentally kills a guy in the alley. Oh, that's intense. And I was that's like. That's a really dark episode. I was, it was really dark. I was so scared. I was like, this is too intense for me. I just want to see, like, you know, like this pastor um, teach lessons to his children. Although, you know, Seventh Heaven has its own. Uh, problems with its legacy now um, oh yeah. yeah way more so than Buffy I would way say more so than Buffy yep. um and yeah Buffy I watched it I watched all seven seasons in that summer after high school actually no it, I might have it might have been like my my not not senior year actually because I remember writing about it um it might have actually been my freshman year of college of a high school high school yeah because I watched it and I was like talking about it like in who was school. president um, but yeah, it was sometime during high school, and I remember like falling in love with it and having like a bunch of free time. So I watched all seven seasons in those three months. Actually, it might have been just two months, and I fell in love with it. I had never seen a show that had such a strong, um, complex female character like Buffy had. I hadn't watched Veronica Mars at all beforehand, and I this I just came into this blind, and I fell in love with this character and the story and the arc and the whole metaphor that this show had going for it of high school as hell and how you know she Buffy literally fought her own demons in the form of actual manifested demons, and I thought that was so clever and smart. I didn't really know much about horror movies because I kind of avoided them up until the time but I liked how that how the show plays with horror movie tropes mm-hmm. and how it really is ingrained in that sort of love for that genre as well as you know love for the high school teen soap genre and it's just so fun like a lot of people go into Buffy Vampire Slayer think it's thinking it's old and outdated because of the 90s and how particularly 90s it is but that never bothered me also I, 90s aesthetic is great those, 90s boxy, okay. great. those boxy laptops they have is they're amazing yeah, yeah. Like, people are like oh the show the first episode first season of the show looks so bad i'm like but that's part of the charm i enjoy yeah. the kitschiness of it like the camp is great and i like that the show went from this sort of campy um satirical series and became an emotional powerhouse of a, of a show. Like, the character arcs on Buffy the Vampire Slayer are some of the best character de- development and storytelling I've seen on TV ever. Yeah, and Second. also just the ability to foreshadow too. I mean, we'll get into that more, which oh, is like sure. how he had so much control and been, was able to like forecast its development like, you know, seasons out and everything mm-hmm. is like, I think unlike a lot of things we've seen in television. Yeah. And Buffy Vampire Slayer was one of like the forerunners of serialized storytelling in like primetime television. So yeah. anything that wasn't HBO, you were seeing uh, mostly procedural TV shows that was, you know, monster of the week, which as they say, Buffy which had Buffy some. was, but it managed okay. to do monster of the week episodes and tie that into a larger arc. Yeah. And like that, and that was great. I liked when they did myth, like more, more so than the X files. There were a lot more like mythologic myth, like mythology based episodes mm-hmm. in terms of like its own in universe, like mythology building. 
as well as like monster of the week like xander dates a reptile or like you know like some weird demon creature lady and because they had that balance of both episodic storytelling and serialized storytelling they were able to maintain a fairly consistent quality through like the 22 episode orders which shows today still struggle with yeah so you see like season like a like 2A or 2B, you know, like they split it up into two arcs for like that whole season. Buffy never, really Buffy did, that. never did that. Like they had, they had a mid-season twist in yeah. which the villain that you thought was going to be the main big bad ended up being like a subterfuge for the actual big bad, like and a the, red, almost like a red, like herring. a red herring. Yeah, and like the way they do it is very organic and very well done. Like my favorite is still in the season two oh, twist. Yeah. In which Spike gets introduced as one of the best characters of Buffy and one of their best villains, but then suddenly it becomes so much more personal when Angel comes around. Oh, man, I didn't know that was going to happen, and when it did, crazy. Yeah. It blew my mind, and I was so devastated, too. And I wasn't even someone who, like, loved Angel so much, but I just was like, ugh, when she cries on that bed, I cry on that that bed with her. That arc with Angelus Mm -hmm. is, like, when... I think Buffy really like, like, hook, like got its hooks in me. Like I was like, oh man, the show is like yeah, doing real things here. They're doing, they're doing emotional, emotional mastery. Mm-hmm. Like it's amazing what it does. So yeah, I'm. I kind of went off into the whole like Buffy and its importance in TV kind of spiel, but like that's that's also why it's important to me because like it just it offered to me a female protagonist who was not just you know, a strong female character. Right. She had her weaknesses. She had her moments of, of uh, mistakes and grief. And that's what made her all the more real and powerful and strong. And I love... She was a person. She was a person. <laughs> a full person. Yeah. And I do want to say, there's criticisms about, like, Joss Whedon's, like, protagonist of being... of that female archetype of the waif, um, the waifish character who is strong and like you know Buffy think, on a service level sort of fulfills that. I think an example in other works of his would be uh, River. River, River from, from Firefly. Firefly. Um, definitely a lot of characters that Amy Acker has played. Uh, would you say Elijah Dushku in Dollhouse? Yes, definitely. But it's the reason that Buffy stands so well. Like all of his characters, even though they maybe they start on those archetypes, they bloom into these really fully developed characters because of like the writing and the complex characterization that he's doing with all of them, Buffy especially. Yeah, I think that's the thing with Whedon's work is that if, with when he has time to develop characters, they go from being archetypes or stereotypes, and he like is able to subvert expectations or change them around or like take them on a really nice arc. Like Willow's character arc, oh, it's amazing. Is amazing. Oh, it's, you know, it's she act- starts I think out it's one of the best. She starts out as like the plucky sidekick who's also a nerd and goes through s- such an emotional arc over the over seven seasons really complex it's not just the same thing over again like all of these characters go through crazy development and i think that's one of the best parts about mm-hmm. the show so willoughby yes please tell us your personal journey with buffy so ironically just like you guys i also watched episodes of buffy as a kid and, like, I wasn't scared by them because I don't think I was watching particularly scary episodes, but, like, they would be on the UPN, and I would just kind of, like, watch, like, a couple episodes. I remember distinctly noting, like, I in my head, I used to call him Giles instead of <laughs> Giles. And I was like, who's this Giles guy? And it was weird. Like, I wasn't sure. Like, I I think I must have seen later season episodes because, like, I didn't know what was going on, but I just knew, like, I knew of the show as, like, 
kind of a horror show, and like vampires are in there, and like I know Sarah Michelle Gellar from Scooby Doo, and like other shows she's done, and like and um, it was just weird, like I you know vaguely seeing reruns on TV like in the in the afternoon, and then I never really watched the show like wholesale until college, um, when after after you guys became friends, playing watching Buffy. And you guys kept talking about it. I was like, I gotta watch this show. <laughs> so, like, because of you two, I watched Buffy, and I got into it. And I was like, Oh man, this show is amazing. Uh, and it took me about a year and some change to go through the entire. Uh, it took me all of 2013 because I remember starting it like January of 2013, and I remember finishing it Thanksgiving week of 2013. Oh man! So like, I went through like I think I watched like the first two seasons in the in the beginning, and then like I fell off of it, and then. Uh, summer break came and I started watching it again and then when uh, the school came back up I remember marathoning it and then coming over to your guys' apartment and we would watch episodes where I, like you would rewatch the episodes I was watching for the first time and oh that's that, my favorite that was always fun and then um, and then Thanksgiving I binged the last two seasons within that week because I only had like one class on a Monday and then I didn't have classes on Tuesday Wednesday Tuesday or Wednesday and Thursday and Friday were off so like I just watched so much Buffy that week, and uh, and then it was just—it's such an incredible show. Like, it affected me deeply. Like, when like Angelus comes around, like I didn't really like David Boreanaz like as Angel. I think we all kind of like agree he's not the best actor. No, well, he, he grew into the role yeah. after well, a while. Well, what but... happened was that once. Well, he grew into his role, but when he turns into Angelus, that's when I'm like, oh shit, this guy can act. Yeah. Like, yeah. He goes from playing... That, he's, I think he's better as Angelus. Oh yeah, than he definitely is. Because like, he, can, he can let loose. Like, the thing about Angel is that he has a soul, so he has to be brooding mm-hmm. and dark. <laughs> and like, I can't do it. And he always has to. to be upset. He always, he has, always to be upset. has to be sad. So he's, he's always kind of, he's always kind of in, on one emotion, but when he's with... When he gets to, even when he's in love with Buffy, it's always kind of like, "I love you, Buffy," and then and she, then he has to go, and then he has to go. But then, like the majority of his plot in like the first two seasons was, "Where is Buffy?" Yeah, Ma- yeah. Rebecca made Giles. a joke. Also, just like randomly comes up, he's like, "Buffy, I've been looking for you." Giles, it's, or he goes to the school. Giles, do you know where Buffy is? And Giles <laughs> is like, uh, "Wasn't wasn't she with you?" And then it's like, "What?" Um, There's but, only like three locations Buffy really is, the like cemetery, the school library, the and her home. Oh, and the bronze. And the bronze. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. yeah, so when when he's Angelus, it's like crazy. I was like, okay, so th- this show is doing things that I wasn't expecting, and that's awesome. Um, and yeah, I mean, like all these characters are great. It's it's interesting how like you know it really builds on its own mythology and expands everything. And I think that where I come from it. Is like I like I like a good show with its own like in like world building mm-hmm. and Buffy has amazing world building oh. and I love the way it's like it delves into like Slayer history and like how how Slayers are chosen and like the Council of Watchers and like this crazy like group of men who dictate terms to these women and it's it's uh, and I like how Buffy is able to subvert that and like overcome the Watchers Council and all that. So I want to talk a little bit about how a lot of casual fans of Buffy tend to, tend to drop off after the third season, and I want to launch a defense. Is that a thing? I didn't know that. Yeah. I actually almost fell victim to that mm-hmm. when I first um, watched the third season, you know, and so much on a high note, and I think it kind of suffers from the 
you know, what every kind of high school based show can kind of suffer from was, you know, when they go to college and, you know, the, the college years. <laughs> Saved by the Bell, the college years. Yeah, like it's almost never great. And I think Buffy kind of did falter a little bit in the beginning, but came back really quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it was a little rough. Those couple of episodes to me were just a little bit rough to watch. I think, but I, mean, I think some of the worst episodes in Buffy are in season four. They are, but. Definitely, like, the lowest of low... You're bad. Yeah, yeah. you're bad. Um, Rebecca and I tried to watch it again to see if there were any redeeming qualities. There weren't. No. I think, yeah, season season four is definitely a low point for me. Yeah, but a lot of people deride season six specifically I as, like, the low six. point of, of Buffy Vampire Slayer. And yeah. I want to defend Buffy season six season as one of the most interesting things that Buffy oh, has yeah. done. And it's like, all about growing up. Yeah, and it's fearless, too, in the way that it really... It kind of goes against, goes up against, you know, that sort of harmless nerd trope. Yeah. And you know. Ter- oh, it takes the nice guy. Takes yeah, exactly. And it does that way before we've had you know Gamergate and that issue of like the nice guy and the jack and the jackass nerds and everything and people who live in their own circle of privilege who, who, and misogyny who, who think they are victims when they are exactly when they are oppressing others. Yeah. particularly women Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah like it's interesting to kind of confronting human evil too which Mm -hmm. i think that's kind of the first time they really went deep with that i think there might be a couple episodes like obviously ethan rain or like a few other like human people that humans that she um goes against but like this is the first time where like she's forced to sort of confront that you know what what happens when humans start dealing with, you know, demonic stuff and where does she fit into that? And, you know, they're doing all of these truly evil things. You know, right. I think some of the most evil things, you know, I'm thinking of um, obviously Warren shooting mm-hmm. Tara mm-hmm. was awful. And um, I also the, think the really disturbing, his girlfriend. Um, the rape of his Katrina? girlfriend. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Awful. Like, really, like, dark and awful. And, like, a darkness that kind of can resonate with people a lot more than, um, you know, obviously killing vampires, which is much more metaphorical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is, you know, in season three, you get Faith shooting a person, which we talked about earlier in the episode. And that's, like, the reason why Buffy is, like, takes a stand against that is because you know her motto is like we don't kill humans because you know that's murder mm-hmm. whereas demons like there's a weird and there's a weird like loophole yeah which a- the- angel the, the series takes that and go and mm-hmm. you know brings dimensions to demons literally they mm-hmm. go to different dimensions but they also like give like arcs to actual demon characters and they become like you know protagonists or and even like like fa- found family tropes whereas with buffy it's almost like you know, you have to be very. You almost have, you have to have a soul to be mm-hmm. part of the the Scooby Gang. So like, yeah, Angel, but it's not so black and white all the time. Yeah, but. and so like when but when Faith kills a guy, and you know that does a lot of things to her, to her like mental stability as well. But like mm-hmm. Buffy has to deal with the fact that a fellow Slayer like killed a person, and so that's like what does she have to do. And then and then what happens when you have to confront exactly like we talked about uh, humans? Like usually. The big bads, yeah, they've been supernatural. Yeah, so it's interesting when Buffy goes from that sort of metaphorical stage and turns it a little bit more realistic and tries to try to explore like the evil innate in humanity as well. And it's fascinating that that's the point where a lot of people drop off for Buffy because it it 
for me, was some of like the boldest storytelling that it does. Some of it doesn't completely uh, like follow Work through, well. yeah, yeah. But like the idea of like the trio and them being becoming villains just just because they were bored, just because you know they were trying to prove themselves or something, is the most classic white male thing. privilege. Exactly. There, am I right? Yeah. Yeah. True. So like actually, mm-hmm. and like that's the whole point of Warren is that he's like an evil dude who yeah. just who feels slighted by the world when really like he has all the privilege yeah uh, oh yeah and uh he wants for nothing but then you know he's never satisfied and he exactly. takes he takes along oh who was andrew 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 and jonathan 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 was always kind of like a side character who yeah so I mean, tragic he, though yeah. yeah um and then andrew is kind of like just like literally like dragged along like i don't think he really wants to be there mm-hmm. it's very complex and very layered and that's what i like about buffy is that you take take these stereotypes like the nerds who feel slighted and then you can take that and make them the most like the most evil of people like i mean as we were seeing even last night with the re- return of the white nationalists in charlottesville mm-hmm. like a lot of those guys Ugh. also participated in gamergate mm-hmm. a lot of those guys you know feel feel victimized by by thinking that just because other groups want more equality, they feel slighted. So that and, means that they have less all of a sudden. Yeah, exactly. and it's crazy, and the, and that's what Warren and those guys in this in the season six like they represent that like twenty years ahead mm-hmm. of their time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's actually scarily accurate how yeah. much they were able to sort of pinpoint that yeah. back then, even when I feel like there wasn't nearly the vocabulary no, that we. Even, like, even back then, like, nerds are still, they were, like, in popular culture treated as, like, the best friend to the girl, and they're eventually going to fall in love, and they're, you know, it's all going to be good. The underdog and the joke. Yeah. Yeah, like Xander. Exactly. (laughs) And so, like, there's a lot of, which is weird, because, like, it's almost like Joss Whedon is reckoning with his own uh, writing. Although I do want to say, season six was mostly run by Marty Noxon. Was it? Yeah, because was yeah. yeah, because Joss Whedon at the time was working on Firefly and Angel oh, simultaneously, he so he and was she took a more. lot of flack for she it. She took a lot of flack. Her, her Twitter bio is one of my favorite things. I ruined Buffy, and I will ruin you too. I don't think she ruined Buffy. No, she definitely no, she did, did not. But but okay. So and I will I will revise my statement and say that Marty Noxon is reckoning with Joss Whedon's work of his early characterization of Xander as mm-hmm. like the nice guy who just who, yeah, who was in love that. with Buffy. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Xander. I'll, it was yeah, definitely going to go to this. I mean, yeah. Do we want to switch, <laughs> oh, yeah. switch the characters? Like, do we want to talk about? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the criticisms okay. that Buffy has has kind of ha- had lobbied against it, and how some of the things that it was seen as progressive at the time has probably not aged as well to today. Xander being the number one <laughs> component. So Xander is definitely a surrogate of showrunner Joss Whedon. He was kind of that underdog, snarky, self-deprecating guy who, to be fair, gets damseled a lot in the show. And Which is an interesting subversion. Yes, exactly. For sure. Mm -hmm. But But then he's just a big fat jerk through a lot of it. Yeah, he's like a damsel in distress who then feels like he's owed sex from Buffy. And the show sympathizes with him, which is not a great thing. Oh, yeah. I think, though, I mean... It's definitely really bad. I don't think that was the only show in the 90s, again, product of its time, to mm-hmm. suffer from that. I think there's a lot of nice guy tropes of, like, oh, she just, like, noticed me. I, I'm a real nice guy. Like, Angel's I don't a jerk. Yeah. yeah. 
So I want to use that as a jumping off point to talk a little bit about Joss Whedon and the recent revelations that have come about. Um, well, not revelations. He's always kind of been a bit of a jackass. and He always puts his foot in his mouth. Yes, definitely. And there was recent um, news. I think it was his ex-wife who came out with an uh, essay mm-hmm. speaking about how you know he treated her kind of as an ex- a not an excuse but like sort of a prop to how he has become a fe- how he is a feminist ally and everything and um he definitely pr- was he cheated on her and had affairs and definitely was had a power trip over like the young actresses and young writers who you know, worked for him and worshiped him and mm-hmm. so i think I didn't really talk about this on the podcast back when it first came out because I thought a lot of it was overblown. I just really disliked a lot of the essays and the articles and think pieces that came out. There was out a lot of just deriding Joss Whedon. Yeah, it was a- complete like yeah, the outrage culture like yeah. kind of went. I think there was a, there was a lot of much. like yeah. I don't want to call it black and white, but it, there was a lot of like almost like people who had criticisms of Joss Whedon before this like took that and like was like. They felt vindicated in hating him yeah. and all like everything he's ever done ever in the history of the yeah, world. Yeah, as if like that completely invalidates all of exactly. his work. So what I want to say is that despite how bad of a human being Joss Whedon is, and he is a human being, he like anyone, we should not put him on a pedestal and because I don't think he deals well yeah. with being famous. Yes, exactly. And you know, he I don't want to say I don't want to like diminish it down to, oh, he's a human, he made mistakes, because, like, he is an asshole, and he definitely has taken advantage of women, but I don't want that to invalidate the legacy and the power that Buffy the Vampire Slayer had and still holds today. And while Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, does feel sometimes like a product of its time, it still was on the vanguard of feminism on TV and feminism in pop culture and bringing forth that idea of a strong female character being more than just a collection of masculine tropes. And, you know, Joss Whedon was behind a lot of that. Uh, He, he, it somewhat is hypocritical that he labels himself as a a feminist ally, but he did have a lot of great ideas about women that were really revolutionary at the time. The, The sad thing is that those ideas have not changed since then. But, we should not use that to invalidate or lessen the importance of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And that's what I wanted to say, and that's why I wanted to bring it in. Of course. No, I think those are all good points, and I super agree with you, I think, on all of them. You know, I think I don't want to get on a huge, long tangent about this because it's such a complex subject that I have, like, a lot of, I think, kind of contradictory feelings about, Mm -hmm. especially where Joss Whedon's concerned. Um, I'm honestly not as familiar with his other work. I only watched a little bit of Angel, um, and and um, I watched a little bit of Firefly as well, but otherwise I'm not really um, a Joss Whedon body of work expert. But, you know, in terms of Buffy, you know, it's hard. I think our generation especially kind of suffers from, or like, not suffers, but, um, you know, is often really forced to reconcile and sort of debate, you know, do you separate the art from the artist kind of thing, and, you yeah. know, like, um, honestly, you know, I mean, like, this might sound kind of dismissive, but a lot of artists and a lot of really successful artists tend to also not be great people. I agree completely. No, that's that's the truth. 
yeah, like, you know, a lot of them are extremely complicated and extremely frustrating people and don't have good relationships. You know, I think, and, you know, often, if you, especially if you're successful too, you know, you obviously have that drive and you're kind of okay with either screwing people over or putting people people on the back burner, Mm -hmm. you know, anything like that, you know. So, but I don't think that should take away from what Buffy has been able to do for, you know, not just us, but so many people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this might sound, again, like, yeah, I don't want to be like, oh, well, he's just a human being, made a mistake, because obviously I don't condone cheating, I don't like it, but I also think it's not as, you know, I don't know the entire story, obviously, I'll say that right up top, but, you know, cheating is not the worst thing that someone could be it's Mm -hmm. sort of it's often more complicated i feel like you know and between you know it's a complicated sort of thing and a lot of people do it for a lot of different reasons that you know are never good reasons but it's not like he was you know an abuser that from what i could tell or you know like there's i think a line between you know someone just kind of doing a shitty thing and someone who's like actively shitty like malicious yeah yeah like he's not if, woody allen or yeah or yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. yeah like i think there's a line we have to kind of at least that i sort of tend to draw like in terms of like um, who we direct our outrage to yeah yeah i feel like i'd rather be outraged by roman polanski or um yeah woody allen and now more recently although i guess it's still pending nelly we have to hold people accountable for and, what they've done and in the film criticism community like harry knowles mm-hmm. from annical news and andy signore from screen junkies, junkies and, and harvey Farachi, weinstein harvey weinstein, harvey weinstein. Farachi from birth and movies death like a lot of these guys are coming like a lot of women are coming out in the open and saying like the, yeah they were sexual assaulters they yeah. sexually harassed people yeah and it's so good we've moved this far you know as a culture to you know we still obviously have such a long way to go but that they even feel like that they can speak out you know mm-hmm. yeah we believe that's a really good sign, even though, you know, sometimes it does not feel like we've really come far at all, and mm-hmm. sometimes it even feels like yeah. we're going backwards. Yeah, it's you, you think, like, oh, these people are, you know, cool and everything, and then they're not, and then it's really yeah. fucked up. And so, like, definitely the revelations of Joss Whedon's personal life are, like, they, they are points against him in my book. Um, yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like not, it, but yeah. but it doesn't tarnish Buffy's legacy in my exactly. in my head. And I feel it. It's yeah, like you said, Rebecca. It's very contradictory thoughts. Um, but I think that yeah, that's, and like the things with the accusations lobbied against Joss Whedon feel more of like a personal, private matter versus something that actually impacts tons of women, like yeah. the previous and, um, like, get, people we I, talked about. I get why she wrote the essay because she wanted to kind of like dispel like this like myth myth that he's like the perfect feminist. And he's not. Mm-hmm. And we no, can, he's know, not. No one, no, no one is perfect, and no, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure. Like his representation issues yeah. in his work, especially in um, Buffy, those are you know very easily mm-hmm. noted. Yeah, it's a very contradictory thing. Like he's yeah. a, he could he he's a terrible he's not a terrible person, but he's he's, he's done shitty person. things, mm-hmm. but he also has done great mm-hmm. co- great creative work. Yes, and it's complicated issue and we're not, obviously not going to solve the problem to the, today yeah uh, but no. we do want to we did want to but it's it Im- yeah. i think it's important yeah to hold people accountable for when you know yeah like we said sort of a, when they do like really truly truly awful things this is what he did was obviously a very bad thing and i do not agree with it but it's 
yeah, like you said, it's a much more, I think, private matter and Mm -hmm. not necessarily indicative of, like, entire character, but a big part of his character. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the same as, you know, systemic abuse. Um, There's no, like, kind of stories or any... I'm not 100%, but, like, you know, if he had been, like, you know, the women he did cheat with, like, if they were women he worked with and he, Mm -hmm. like, pulled it over their head or something, like, that would be a completely different conversation, too, which I don't think was the case, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, It is possible, but I don't think that's come out at all. Um, But, you know, that would be something to definitely really hold him to and you know but I think just like consensual cheating is yeah terrible but not yeah indicative like I'm not going to throw out my Buffy collection yeah I wanted to bring that up because I think it's an important part of talking about Buffy's legacy uh well with taking in like the good and the bad and sort of things that have come up recently in sort of the pop culture news cycle so um I'm going to turn this conversation around to something brighter. But before I do that, uh, let's. I'm going to make a quick shout-out to Riley and how, how horrible he also is. Boo! Boo, Riley! <laughs> um, and uh, I guess bring up a couple other criticisms I have of the show. Um, you know, the idea of there wasn't that much diversity in the series. Oh, yeah. uh, so Buffy, in the, in the end, kind of feels like a definite symptom of like white feminism and everything um what else oh yeah Mm -hmm. but yeah it's i don't want that us to linger on you know the negatives of buffy the vampire slayer there's way too many positives so many positives so why don't we talk about our favorite moments our favorite episodes of buffy the vampire slayer let's do with episodes actually so well you guys go first because you guys have a better a grasp well, episode there are like and... different kinds of episodes to me kind of like you know depending on my mood like um if i want just like a fun kind of ultimately inconsequential episode um but that's just like pure fun i would probably go with band candy oh, the third in the third season it's so good and where, the, where the adults become kids yeah we, yeah, we, we rewatched that one several times oh it's so good it's just like it's well written it's just fun and it's i just i love it but yeah there's like obviously no like big plot movements in the episode or anything like that but it's just like a ton of fun except and, for you know giles and buffy's mom like <laughs> oh yeah and i'm also guilty of probably letting my um deep and abiding um and not entirely innocent love of Giles get in the way of like how much not get in the way but like that definitely bumps it up for me just watching him be bad is great (laughs) no I think definitely more than just deep and abiding it's a very full-on love for Giles which you shouldn't be ashamed of because he is he is a anyone I've Anyone I've showed Buffy to has never, no one I know has ever disliked Giles. Giles is, like, by far and away, I think, the most liked character. All the guys that I've made watch Buffy or I've watched Buffy with, Giles is their favorite character. He's the best. Yep. Either that or Willow. Mm-hmm. Willow's my yep. favorite character. Yeah, she's definitely <laughs> deserving of it. And then, um, yeah, and in terms of, like, big plot movement-y episodes, you know, I mean, I'm definitely one of those people who's partial uh to the first three seasons for sure um you know i think just the whole arc of um angelus turning angel becoming angelus is 
I think pretty much flawlessly done. Um, I would probably point to either, yeah, becoming part two or passions being one of my favorites. Like in terms of like, if I want to just be like emotionally destroyed, (laughs) it's so incredibly well done. And just like, it's just so well paid. It's just everything I possibly could want in like a, in like a, an arc basically. It's just, I can't say enough good things about it. I'm going to like, I'm at a loss for words, but it's definitely like, it it's destroys tough. me every time though. Mm-hmm. Innocence too, for sure. Oh, um, oh God. So those are probably my quick favorites up top. And then also just alternative universe. The wish is definitely in there for me is like, um, you know, just like a weird episode that is experimental. I love, uh, Cord- I love me a Cordelia centric episode, even though she isn't in it the whole time. But <laughs> Cordelia is I, great. Oh, like, the more I rewatch gotta, Buffy, the more I love Cordelia. We gotta have a segment after this about how much we love Cordelia. She's amazing. <laughs> the queen. She doesn't, she doesn't say she. She only says she doesn't use tact. She only says true stuff. Tact is only saying not true things. Exactly. Oh, she's amazing. She's great. Anyway. So those are probably my picks. All right. So I'm going to say a couple of my favorites, too. Uh, I'm going to go with my fake, deep, angsty self and pick Restless, which I really like because of... It's basically an entire dream episode. It's based in... That's the fourth season finale? Fourth season finale. It's the like based in uh, Xander, Willow, and Buffy's dreams. Oh, and Giles' dreams. And mm. it's just chock full of foreshadowing and... Um, and prophetic sort of imagery and I love I love that kind of abstract imagery shit it's just like the it's so man. fun the cheese yeah, man too there's is just so like a, much in there too I know like one of my favorite shots is that I'm gonna bring up Riley but there is a it's one of Riley sitting at the, this glass table and he he swirls and the camera like moves with him so that you see from under the table um the, this gun like pointing away from Riley mm. and like sitting like so like looks like it's coming from him and that kind of thing. I'm like, that, that is some good, good ass imagery. That's some good ass like cinematography. Yeah. So I, I just, I love Restless. I love all the foreshadowing it has for the season. Like I read all the little hints that it has in like its Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. And I, just, I, I really like dreamy, surreal imagery kind of stuff that plays into uh, like the character's inner inner yeah. workings and inner thoughts and everything like that. So, Restless is just, it's, it's a weird, it's a fun one. It's a great one. pick. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like uh, passion a lot. I like being emotionally devastated. and <laughs> That's the most emotionally devastating it you is. can get. And just like that scene at the end of Giles crying and breaking down mm-hmm. and Buffy hugging him and saying, I can't do this without you. Oh, yeah. It's Tears so beautifully done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, even more so than like Angelus being evil, or so, you know, yeah. I guess this is full of spoilers, right? Mm-hmm. We've already like spoiled Buffy to. It's a show that's been out twenty to, years, you know. so yeah. yeah. No, I was say when you know, I, even like Jenny dying made me super sad, but more because it made Giles super sad. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! <laughs> and like, um, just uh, yeah. The, I think the most um, yeah, emotionally resonant part is yeah when she's like crying in Giles' arms and Giles is crying, and it's just their relationship's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And um, this is gonna this is one of the weirder picks, but it also speaks to my angsty self. 
I like amends a lot, which is an episode where nothing really happens. It's all about this existential grappling that um, Angel deals with. Uh, and it's a, apparently uh, a, what was kind of a pilot test for how Angel would deal with like his own series. So right. it's a vehicle for David Boreanaz's acting, but it also kind of deals with, oh, this question of why do we fight? So I really love that whole thesis that the show brings about and the grappling that Angel and Buffy have of, you know, the fight is hard and, like, we never really see any results or win at the end of the day, but it's worth it because that's what life is. It's about fighting. And that shit, that, that was, like, deep for me as, like, yeah. a 15-year-old girl. I was like, man, I'm, I'm learning about life here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Buffy... You know, it, it's always associated with kitsch and camp and kind of the fun allegorical moments. But for me, the moments that resonated, resonated the most were the parts that dealt with these more philosophical questions, I guess, and uh, moments of love and life. But that's just me. I'm weird. <laughs> no, I mean, I completely mm-hmm. see, feel that, too. Restless is great. And I thought Amends was cheesy on the first uh, watch, but I've actually grown to really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's definitely kind of some parts where, like, they're walking in the snow and stuff. Like, I know <laughs> it's kind of... love made the snowfall. <laughs> I know, I know. But I was never really a Buffy ship person yeah. much, so it was kind of like, okay. like <laughs> That was the episode that made me ship Buffy and Angel. I was like, oh. Okay, I can kind of see fair. They have fair. a very uh, epic, eternal sort of love, yeah. and it's more and abstract. I'll take it. I'll take it over them doing weird, sexy yoga together. <laughs> That's their replacement for sex because they can't. Yeah. Although we know that Buffy is best by herself. Like the yeah, end, oh, when, ending with yeah, ending the series with Buffy um, as an individual woman still, you know, waiting to grow. I think and that's actually super powerful. It is really powerful. Yeah, I, I do want to give a shout-out to that last episode and how it takes that trope of, what's it called? The Chosen. It's called Chosen. Yeah, Chosen. And it takes that trope of, you know, the, the lone, you know, chosen one warrior sh- shouldering the burden of saving the world, and it um, extends it, it, like, passes it out to all the other women in the world. And it's such a powerful message of, mm-hmm. you know, not just one woman has to be strong. We're all strong women together. Yeah. So empowering. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's why Buffy is so powerful, guys. It it distributes the power. It's socialist feminism. That's the best kind. What intersectionality today. <laughs> yes. All right. Will be. Tell us some of your favorite episodes or moments. Um a lot of a lot of the ones you guys have talked about. Um I really like the Angelus arc. I really like the Dark Willow arc. Um basically from like um, Tara, Tarek being shot to the finale almost. Um, that whole. I recently rewatched that actually, like last week. And yeah, it's I watched it a couple insane. months ago, and it's it's so well done. Just the fact that you know she Willow struggles with like magic addiction, and then she goes like full on evil, mm-hmm. and like you know such a good arc. Yeah, and it's driven by like her intense grief. Yeah. You know? Um, it's coming from something so deep and human, so, and that manifests such an inhuman evil in exactly. her. Exactly, um, and in the fact that it takes her best friend Xander to help her like down from that, and Buffy and all of them have to like deal with like the fact that like their best friend went dark, and how yeah. how that 
you know, how, like, because, like, before, like, the big bads have always been, I mean, even in that same season, it was Warren and, like, the trio, were, like, they were the big bads, and then Willow became the big bad. So it's like, yeah, what are you twist. doing here? It's crazy. And mm-hmm. you have to reconcile with that. And, um, I like Also, how she kills Warren is so oh, intensely well, leaves so him alive. Crazy. Oh, my God. Um, the flaying. Ugh. Oh, man. I'm not saying he didn't deserve it, but wow. Like, and they showed it, and that's it's like, hardcore on cable television. That, yeah, yeah, that was on primetime television. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's like whoa. Um, but yeah, so like that arc is great. Um, some singular episodes I really like. Uh, oh, what's the one where they they can't talk? Hush, hush, hush. Uh, that's a great episode. One oh. of the best, and actually then, the best. Oh, yeah. And then the thematic sequel to that, Once More with Feeling. Mm. That's a great episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, those are amazing. Musical episode. That's great. Um, I still listen to the soundtrack. Uh, it's yeah. actually like a really it's good, a good song. Yeah, soundtrack. Like, Joss Whedon can write songs. Like, yeah. that's I know, Dr. Do- Horrible, Dr. anyone? Yeah. Great. It's great. Um, this, the theme song to Firefly is great. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think... I think my favorite season will probably have to be season three because I just really like the whole idea of uh, like graduation mm-hmm. and yeah. like coming to the, com- like coming to a head of high school like the end of high school they blow up the school mm-hmm. and it's yeah. it's like I love when they I love when shows just in general like uh, do something like that where they like blow up like a main set piece and then they have to like. Like as like as like a finale like moment like the forces change exactly forces change and it's also like this is the end for now and like they have to move on with yeah. that with their yeah. lives and, and I then, think it's the most cohesive season for sure yeah, in terms like they, of like they had an idea concentration of great episodes they had an of. idea of what they wanted to do and then mm-hmm. season four just goes kind of off the rails in the moments um, yeah. Hush, though, I think really, I think that was kind of the episode where, like, I came back and I was like, all right, like, it's it's still good. It's still, yeah. like, you know. Like, that's the weird thing. Yeah. Like, like, Buffy, drunkenness, Buffy like, season four you know? has one of its yeah. worst episodes with Beer Bad and one of its best with Hush. Uh, Hush is yeah, so like, good. And it won an Emmy I, uh, Hush, yeah. right? They right? won yeah, their first Emmy. And yeah. the only Emmy, I think. Yeah, so, like, you get the best and the worst Holy. with season four, which I yeah. think showcases, like, it was a very uneven season. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you can't discredit singular episodes. And that's what I love also most about Buffy, is that it's serialized storytelling with great individual episodes. Oh, yeah. That's what television is the strongest at. So I've, I've railed about this We've before. We've talked about this before, yeah. but I think this is <laughs> worth mentioning that Buffy does it really well. Yeah, so, like, I really dislike the whole idea that good prestige television now is supposed to be a t- eight or seven hour movie. Like, name, tell yeah, me what like happens you, yeah, in the middle so of Westworld. Yeah, it's intimidating, too. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. But Buffy does what is, like, the best at just being a good television show in that it has episodic stories, and some of its best episodes are just, like, those standalone stories, but it still has a full arc. And it's like a chapter, you know? Yeah. It's like everything is a chapter in this, like, this long story. It and moves, that's, It moves the characters forward, yeah. even if it might not move the story Exactly, forward. and that's what TV is best for, and, and Buffy is the best at doing that as a yeah. television show. I'll also shout out to 100%. Mad Men. 100%. Mad Men can do that, too. Yes, yes. Anyways, Buffy. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched. It, I haven't rewatched it as many times as you guys have. Mm-hmm. So like, I can't point pinpoint everything. So most of my things are like arcs. So like, I really like the arcs of a, a lot of the shows. I will say that um, the Dawn stuff in season five is not great. It's interesting. But I like. Yeah, I like how ambitious I like it was. So much more after season five. Actually. Like once she's no longer literally a plot device. Yeah, I like her. It's yeah. ambitious to introduce 
the sister like that because it's kind of a like a literal a, retcon. Yeah, like in world retcon. It's yeah, a, it's, it's a reference really to all jarring. the times. Yeah, it's a reference to all the times that sitcoms just randomly introduce young uh, Eddie. young <laughs> characters to like yeah. rejuvenate let some life into the show and like Buffy makes it an actual plot like yeah. plot twist. We haven't even talked about Oz. At all. I don't know if oh we can. God. Okay, this is going to turn, turn into like a two-hour podcast if we That's talk true. more about every character. I know, we've, we're already going in over an hour. Well, yeah. Oz is great. We can just say Oz, Oz is great. great. Oz is great. Um, what they did to Oz at the end was kind of terrible. Werewolves <laughs> yeah. are great. Um, and yeah. Faith, Faith's arc was great. I love Faith's yes. arc so much. Um, yeah, and I, that's actually why I would be most likely to watch Angel because her art kind of comes through more in Angel yeah, too. Yeah, right? it definitely comes to a really good, satisfying conclusion. Angel, Angel has some good stuff if we want to briefly mention that, but it's also wildly like but weird. Very different. I honestly did not. I've only watched like maybe like five episodes of Angel. I never really got that into it. I watched all of Angel and I never got into it. I, I was so I, inconsistent. I, I, I binged it in a week to kind of rip the band-aid wow, off. Wow, mm-hmm. impressive. Yeah, I can see what they're doing. This is definitely a different show. This is definitely not Buffy. So one of the things that made me reconcile, like, Angel's existence, the show, I mean, um, was a, a tweet, I think, to one of my former favorite Buffy podcasts, Dusted. Uh, oh, yeah. Rip in peace, <laughs> Dusted. Rip in peace. Um, yes. Buffy is about becoming. Angel is about being. And I think that is a really good summary of, um, of both the shows. And yeah, definitely. Buffy's I just like, think uh, becoming though is a more, to me, just a more interesting story than yeah. being. Yeah, Buffy is about that becoming of age, that you know, grappling with the whole mess and chaos of teenhood and the the young adulthood and everything, and how you deal with those demons as you grow older. And it's mm-hmm. it's definitely powerful in that. It deals with a lot of real-life issues in an allegorical context, but also in a real context. So, do you guys have any final thoughts on Buffy the Empire Slayer? It's great. Yeah. And it's on <laughs> Hulu. You should watch it on Hulu. It is, I believe, not the remastered version on Hulu. It's the original version. It's the original version, which is, version, oh, which is what you should watch. Mm-hmm. Um, or buy the DVDs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's so great. I think it's done so much just for myself personally, and obviously for us you know even as friends um and you know I, yeah as we've kind of addressed even though there's some kind of issues I don't think it really diminishes my enjoyment personally it's what it does and what it's given me is so just like great you know I I could go on and on but just you know giving even essentially a role model and um you know I kind of grew up with Buffy essentially so you know it's essentially just like a requirement of my life <laughs> i just love it so much yeah buffy the vampire slayer is so special to me because it allowed me to deal with and with my own like growing up pains through the lens of this vampire slayer who literally sl- slayed her own demons and high school, is hell. high school is hell and you know i never had such dramatic things happen to me like buffy did but it always kind of brought things into perspective because you know if things ever got bad for me in high school and college I could think at least the world is not ending and while it It might be now (laughs) well it Uh sometimes felt like well sometimes felt like the world was ending and Buffy kind of took that concept of world feels like it's ending it actually is ending there they've dealt with the apocalypse yes several times and I just love that it was such a good allegory for that and um, it was great support for me as a 
young as a young feminist, and I get to pass it on to my younger cousin who is currently watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer of her own volition. I didn't even get her introduce her to it, oh and uh, yeah, yeah, she's she's twelve and she's how currently she, how far is she? She's on the third season. Ooh, mm-hmm. good stuff, Kevin. Very good stuff. So I'm excited to watch it. Watch her watch it. Cool. So. Let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. As our guest, Rebecca, would you like to say what you really like this week in pop culture? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna again shout out that I'm excited that Riverdale is coming back on Wednesday. I can't wait to watch it and see what happens and I know that it's kind of a trash show but I'm really excited I think we've all talked about Riverdale and how it's a bit of a trash show but we still like it so you're yeah. you're in league with us okay good yeah, yeah well I forced HT to watch it <laughs> I watched it uh, when it was airing and like a couple weeks after to, to like I binged the whole thing like once it was done airing on Netflix and I was like that's this is a crazy show it's a nice it's a nice trashy show that feels like a sort of spiritual sequel to Buffy, actually. Yeah, it's kind of got this weird... I mean, like, that's the whole, like... They referenced, you know, even the Scooby gang in the series. Yeah, there was definitely kind of a, like, echo of Buffy in there. And, like, because it deals with, like, murder, also it's, like, oddly Twin Peaksian, and then as well as, like... Uh, like bit of like a bit of Veronica Mars, a bit of Teen Wolf, a bit of Buffy. Yeah. it's a lot of things going going. It is it is trash, but it's like the most beautiful, great trash you could ever find. Like <laughs> you dumpster dive and you found treasure. Yeah, yeah it's a yeah. it's a treasure amongst trash. It's a diamond yeah. in the rough. <laughs> yes. So Willoughby, what yes. do you really like this week? Um. A little sequel called Blade Runner 2049. Oh. Uh, I saw it on Thursday in glorious IMAX. I've, I, I, IMAX always enhances any movie I've ever watched. Um, I saw Sully, and the uh, good part about IMAX was, like, the good part of that movie was the IMAX scenes where they recreate the landing on the Hudson. Uh, Pacific Rim is one of my favorite movies to see in IMAX. And Blade Runner 2049 is now my new favorite movie to see in IMAX because that stuff was gold like it had it, the movie's not without its issues i will give it that but it's also like the aesthetic and mood of the first oh, movie are they come into full full like fledged here like like a know, sensory delight yeah it's just like roger deacon cinematography is amazing it's one of the wow. most beautiful blockbusters i've ever seen and like the like the way he deals with color and like i love the way that roger deacons just takes silhouettes and like makes them the, like the most beautiful like images in on cinema, um, he, he might... really knows how to deal with color and light and like the, mm-hmm. the mixture of that. And I think that he takes the uh, the mood of Ridley Scott's original Blade Runner and the aesthetic and like just makes it so creatively and uh, gorgeous. As well as Denis Villeneuve as a director too. Mm-hmm. Like I love shout Denis. out to him especially. Um, yeah, and like Ryan Gosling is amazing in the movie. I wasn't he expecting me. like he. It, it's like. I think we were talking about this yesterday. He, mm-hmm. He's like his drive character, but with emotions. Yeah, his tiny scenes and tiny moments like of emoting speak volumes in mm-hmm. for his character, and it's amazing. Like I haven't seen such nuanced acting from him in long time. Yeah. actually, ever. This is I my think, first time. Like, like in in like dramatic acting. Mm-hmm. Like I think his work on The Nice Guys was amazing, mm-hmm. just because it's one of his first comedy roles, mm-hmm. if not his first, um, and. Harrison Ford's amazing. 
he gives like some of the best, at least moments of amazing performance in his career. Um, just the the way that the sh- the movie deals with uh, its themes of, you know, who, who these people are, you know, even if they're replicants, does that make them less than human or even more than human? Like the replicants are the are the most fascinating people in in the show uh, in the movies, um, and that was I think that goes for the first movie as well as the second. Um, and I really like I won't spoil too much, but I really like the in the advancement in uh like love like the idea that you know in the first movie Deckard who may or may not be a replicant is in love with a replicant mm-hmm. and then in the second movie in this movie uh Ryan Gosling who it's not a spoiler he's a replicant mm-hmm. he has a relationship with an AI and like and yeah. but that there's also like is that a real relationship there's mm-hmm. also like issues and questions about that but it's like the evolution of ro- love within other beings besides regular humans. Mm-hmm. It's very fascinating. Yeah. Ryan Gosling's character goes through one of the most fascinating and compelling arcs I've seen for an AI character ever. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I like Blade Runner 2049, too. Recommend. Yes. It's a long cool. movie. It's but... a long movie. Uh, go to the bathroom first. It's two hours and 23 <laughs> m- minutes. I would recommend getting a small soda if you're going to get anything to drink. Uh, but otherwise, it's great. It's very practical advice. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely one of those people with a tiny bladder who like has had to rush out of movies that are really long to go to the bathroom the and movie, then I miss things. It does linger. Like It's not the most fast-paced movie. So like if you go to the bathroom and come back, you may be in the same scene and nothing's <laughs> changed. Uh, okay. But, you know... That's I think that's like Blade Runner the first movie was like that too. Yeah. So I think anybody who's a fan of the first movie uh, will be a fan of this movie. All right. Uh, so my really like I was gonna give a mention to Blade Runner twenty forty nine, but I will instead talk about a Netflix series which I just started watching, mm-hmm. American Vandal. Yes. Ah! Uh, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I love it. So I won't reiterate most of what Willoughby has already said, but it is hilarious in that it gives this very serious approach to a very inane subject, which is who drew the dicks. Hashtag who yes. drew the dicks. I, and, you know, I, I watched um, the first episode, and I need to get back on it. Um, I just, as someone who loves true crime documentaries, it's so pitch-perfectly done. It's amazing. It's, it's, also, it's, also, uh, it's a pitch-perfect uh, representation of teenagers, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My friend Mike said that it's a much more poignant um, exploration of teen drama and uh, that existential crises than 13 Reasons Why. And I was like, oh, I can kind of see that, actually. I can see that. Yeah. I've not watched 13 Reasons Why, but that's almost too much of a teen show for like, me. From what I've heard, this is much better. Yeah. I yeah. Would, it's less problematic I than can 13 Reasons it. Why. Yeah. Um, and yeah. American Vandal, I was surprised by how enjoyable and how smart and funny it was because it just destroys all of those tropes that true, true crime documentaries come with. And I don't watch a lot of them, but even I recognize them at this point because they've become so ubiquitous. Yeah. And I I was not paying attention for a lot of the first episodes, but uh, now I'm just fully involved with the question of who drew the dicks. It's such a perfectly paced. Don't tell me. I won't tell me. It's so perfectly paced. The way that it treats it treats it. It never lets up on the bit. It commits so hard. Yeah, that was. There's no winking at the camera. Even the the title credits 
are credits in universe. I love the title credits so much. Like they don't make it like a Netflix series. Like this is directed yeah. and written by the the teenagers that are producing the show. And so, oh man, it's so good. Everybody needs to watch it. I'm I'm backpacking on your really like. It's really great. <laughs> That's okay. I backpacked on your really like so. All right. So if you guys have any thoughts about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Riverdale, Blade Runner 2049, or American Vandal, please let us know. And where can they let us know, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook. You can search for us on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. Our SoundCloud, you can find us there. Um, We're also on iTunes and Google Play. And where can they find you guys on the Internet? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. Where can they find you, Rebecca? Um, you can find me also at Rebecca Fuger on Twitter. Um, I don't tweet all that much, but I'm trying. I'm trying to do it more. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.